0: Labels that we put on people um, Not only separate us from them they
1: separate them from us We draw all these lines and so we've drawn these lines somehow thinking that it keeps us safe And we forget that it imprisons us too, you know when you're building all these fences it might keep certain things out But it also keeps you in Give each other and ourselves, the totality of our humanity and don't pick a side. Yes, I robbed a bank. Yes, I served 27 years and I'm out here every day trying to make sure that your daughter, your son, your grandmother are safe.
2: Welcome back to This Person I Met. Did you know that out of the more than 650,000 ex-offenders in the U.S. who are released from prison every year, almost 44% return to prison within their first year out, and approximately two-thirds will likely be rearrested within three years of release? These statistics shocked us, but we were able to find answers to our questions in this final episode with Mr. Adam Grant as he talks about his organization, A Brighter Way, and his own leadership role in it.
0: Could you please introduce A Brighter Way to our audience? The
1: easiest way that I can introduce A Brighter Way is, A Brighter Way was founded um, by three friends in 2016, all of which had been incarcerated. And they got together talking about there has to be a better way to do reentry. Some of them were involved in the uh, recovery community, and so they were looking at some of the models that they use in the recovery community, and so A Brighter Way was founded. And one of the things that they went on was a faith-based model out of Muskegon, 70 times 7. And so they went with this mentoring model, an individual working with another individual and helping to help them navigate through the uh, pitfalls of parole especially. It has evolved, but our cornerstone remains the mentoring program. It has evolved into other wraparound services where we try to help people with housing, which is a very difficult one. Employment. We try and do a two-tiered approach uh, with mentors. So we have one person who's been formerly incarcerated, uh, mentoring, and one person who possibly has not been uh, formerly incarcerated, but might have similar interests. They might have similar religious background. Um, they might be working in an industry that one of our guys wants to work in so that they learn those things. And Ultimately, what we try to do is we try to improve a person's quality of life. The, the standard for reentry has always been like lack of recidivism so that people aren't going back to prison. That's a means to an end, and the means is, is to an end of quality of life. So we're pivoting to a quality of life because if a person's quality of life is markedly better here, then they're not going to go back to prison people don't understand that sometimes that how people can have aspects of their life that are good in prison i know why some people um go back because it's such a struggle out here and they have so many things working against them heads were headwinds working against them and in there they have friends they have family they have a place they have a purpose so out here, we need to build that kind of community for our people, too, so they have a place, so they have a purpose, and they can you know, give back to their communities.
2: And how did you become the director of
1: provider Better way? I became executive director um, almost a year ago now. Um, matter of fact, I was in the interview phase of that this time last year. I started on December 1st. In a nutshell, their executive director... Um, was moving on to something else. The, one of the original founders of A Brighter Way, and I had been doing a lot of um, things with Nation Outside and Home of New Vision and things like that. So he had seen me kind of in action and thought I would be a good uh, fit for this. And he actually contacted my supervisor at the job I was working at, because he knew him too. And he said, do you think Adam is up for this job? And my supervisor said, Adam was built for this job. So I got interviewed for the position by the board chairman and then by the, 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 well, the board chairman twice, and then the board of directors. Um, And there was one other candidate and they decided Uh, To go with me And I think one of the reasons They decided to go with me is, Is other than the fact That I'm corny And a brighter way Is built for corniness You know how easy it is To end about You know we all have to Lend our light To a brighter way It's just so easy I can put it in every email And everything like that but that was that was basically my road to it. One of the big parts of that was working with Nation Outside. Nation Outside is an organization of formerly incarcerated individuals pushing policy changes, and so I was showing up at a lot of different events. That was uh, essentially it. Just showing up and showing up got me noticed, and doing the right thing. You know, if you get noticed doing the right thing, things will happen.
0: And so that we learned approximately about two thirds of ex prisoners are re-arrested at about three years of release, um, is is that what you've observed before? I would say yes. Numbers are going down a
1: little bit, but numbers are numbers are fickle and can be manipulated. Um, there's not a push to the tough on crime stuff right now. There is a move. It's easier to get employment right now because employers don't have enough people to fill the seats. Um, So some of those things are some of those things have changed. But ultimately, I would say, yes, those numbers kind of, you know, hold true. I I think most people don't understand that those numbers in in themselves only tell a part of the story. Like one thing that people don't know is, is there approximately nine million people in Michigan and approximately two million of them have some form of a criminal record. Two out of nine. You know, which is crazy. So if you think of the odds, well, we know which one in this room has it. But that's the odds, basically. Um, And if you put it on a national level, it gets even bigger. There are approximately the same number, if not more, of people who have a criminal record in the United States as people who are married and people who own dogs. (laughs) Approximately $70 for all three of those. That's crazy. People don't even think about that. So yes, it's, a, it's approximately two-thirds and there's a number of factors that go into
0: that. And what are some of these factors?
1: The biggest one I would say is, because like, like I've said, the, the, the employment aspect has been kind of mitigated, but it's kind of hard to work if you don't have a place to stay, especially in this day and age, uh, because you have to do it. And, and, and it's kind of hard to be able to get a place if you don't have a good credit rating and if you don't have a good credit. You know, all these things are attached. And all of these things are weighted against a person with a felony record. Especially here in Washtenaw County, housing is difficult for anybody. They've got rotating because they've got students coming in. There's this transient population that they can charge exorbitant amounts to. Um, and, and they do. So why would they, hire, you know, why would they you know, rent to somebody else who might be lower on the socioeconomic scale? Who might have a criminal history and and could reoffend. It's a hard thing to kind of to kind of remedy, but when you throw biases and prejudices and all these different things into the mix, it becomes even more complicated because it is legal. we're not we're not a protected class. We're not a protected class, uh, the the formerly incarcerated. so we don't have any natural protections. You can tell us we can't rent from you because I have a criminal history. So, Housing is the biggest one. Of course, employment is not just employment, gainful employment. A lot of our guys can find work, but I'm 52 years old. Uh, My warehouse working days are over. I mean, my shoulder seizes up on me if I drive for more than an hour and a half. You know, so I don't need to be lifting stuff in a warehouse. Um, And a lot of guys are in that situation. So gainful employment. Um, And I would say another one would be um, education. Education is an issue because education opens doors. Uh, hopefully that's going to start getting remedied because now they have Pell Grants back. Well, they, they're getting Pell Grants back on their prisons so that people can get educations again. But the question is whether, they're not, whether or not they're going to get an education that they can use. Because if they educate them in something that they can't get licensed in, it doesn't do any good. Um, and they have a tendency, sometimes the DOC will do that. They will do things that look good on paper, um, but ultimately don't serve any purpose.
2: And What about things like health care or like getting like IDs and other documents?
1: Uh, that's one thing that the DOC is really doing well with now. Um, for years, for 20 years of my incarceration, we fought to get driver's license or, or state IDs for when a person gets out. Because technically you were breaking the law as soon as you walked out the door. Vagrancy laws are still on the books. So if you don't have ID, you're actually breaking the law. Um, They finally did do that. They had to partner with the Secretary of State. And I think the last time I heard the statistics, they were operating at like 98%. 98% of people coming out were getting their state ID or their driver's license if they could get it. Medical is an issue. You do get Medicaid when you first get out. Um, They make you jump through some hoops. And then you also don't understand the system. So 90 days after you get out, then you have to choose a Medicaid plan which most people don't understand. It's one of the things we try and do in a brighter way. We try and help them. Because depending on what your age is, what your needs are, you need different plans. Some plans are really set up where you can get a lot of um, recovery help, substance abuse help, you know, mental health counseling. Um, but they're, they're, they've got a higher deductible if you have to go to the hospital or something like that. But if I'm 28 and have substance abuse and mental health issues, I don't have to worry about the hospital as much as I have to worry about my immediate needs. Um, so it's, it's difficult, but it's there and it's available for them. What most people don't understand, though, when it comes to Medicaid is you have a really limited pool of doctors that you can work with, and the dental care stinks. The, the dental care is one of two things. I fill it or I pull it. That's it. Those are the only two options you have. No root canals, no crowns, um, no, no no braces, no nothing else, um, which creates some serious problems. And most people coming out of prison actually have dental issues because they don't do the cleanings as often as they're supposed to, and it's only polar. And they give you a toothbrush, that's two-and-a-half inches long, how good a job can you do brushing your teeth with
0: a two-and-a-half-inch toothbrush? And are there any like legal bases that prevent um, people from getting jobs if they have a criminal record?
1: There are a lot of them. The, the big legal barriers are um, mostly licensing. And most people don't understand how many things in the state of Michigan, especially, require licensing. We got guys who are barbers in there, who are excellent barbers, who've gone to school for who are master barbers um, in prison. And they allow them to do it in there. And then they get out here and they can't get licensed. There's a lot of things that they can't necessarily uh, get licensed for. Even bigger problem than the laws, though, are norms. A lot of these institutions that you'll go to, they'll tell you, well, we, well, our policy doesn't let us hire you until you've been home for 18 months. And I have found those policies don't exist. What they are is that's just their natural hiring practices. We want somebody else to take the risk. And then once you've shown that you can take advantage of that, then we'll consider hiring you. I understand the logic, But also, it's very short-sighted because if you want people to succeed, if you're concerned about them reoffending, when they're going to do that, it's most likely in that first six months to a year. And if they can't get a good job, then they're more likely to do that. And if they can't get that experience, they can't get the next best job. So that's one of the things we're doing in a brighter way, too, is, is we're creating this workforce model. That we're calling a grow and go system, where some of our people are going to come in, they're going to learn how to work in an office setting, work in a nonprofit, do things like community engagement, grow, get those skills, and then they'll be able to get these other jobs that they weren't able to get before, because the time will have passed and they'll have work experience. So, because if nobody's, if nobody else is going to take uh, a shot with them, we are, because there are people.
2: And does the Brighter Way also like, work on a, like, a more personal level, like introdu- reintroducing formerly incarcerated people to like their families?
1: We do, because our individualized wraparound services depend on what you need. We work with um, a couple different uh, mental health providers, too, which sometimes can help you do the pre-work that you need to do before you actually touch base with family members again. Um, our model is designed Um, to incorporate the entire family. Right now, we don't have the means to uh, uh, um, expand that to the levels that we want, but any time a family contacts us, we work with the family. We try and make sure that that, that if the person is still incarcerated, we have contact with both of them. We try and be there for them and give them a place to be able to come together and meet. It just depends. We don't have a formalized version of that yet. That's probably coming in 2024, where we, we plan on starting family groups, uh, family reunification groups, things like that. But we grew so much in 2022 that in 2023, we can't afford to grow. We have to create systems so that we can build on those going forward.
0: And are there people who, like, try to change our, um, like, criminal history I Entity to get a better chance to be reaccepted into society. Oh yeah, we. It,
1: it's um, not to not to. Uh, uh, th- this isn't uh, being funny. This isn't saying something you know against the LGBTQ community. But a lot of people are closet, um, formally incarcerated. They try and keep it to themselves. That it's a don't ask don't tell situation, because th- th- not only have they seen. And been told a lot of times that they're not going to be accepted. It's that internal stigma that they take with them everywhere. That it's going to be the thing that stops them. So a lot of people act like it doesn't exist. But the problem is, is a lot of times that will come back. They will do a background check, and then it comes back to bite you. And it might you might have been better off. I'm a I'm a full I'm a full believer in full disclosure. I can I can stand on the truth. I can deal with the truth. I mean, if that's what you don't like me for, then at least you don't like me for the right reasons. Um, but that's not easy for everybody to do. I also think, unfortunately, sometimes we have a tendency to use that as our out. So we can say everything is a result of my, my incar- being formally incarcerated. Um, and it's not the case. It's not the case. If I'm not doing the other things, if I'm honest about it and put it out there and that's the thing that does it, so be it. But if I'm dishonest, it wasn't the fact that I had a case that was sure to disqualify me. It was the fact that I had a previous conviction and I didn't say anything about it. So the two of them just made, it, made me unhireable.
2: And how many people has your organization like helped?
1: Uh, in the last... 12 months, somewhere between 45 and 50, um, that's been slowly scaling too. We were doing 10 to 12 a year because we were small. We had, you know, like at most two people um, working at any given time. And so one person was having to do everything, man- manage everything. Washtenaw County has approximately 150 people um, released annually from the michigan department of corrections Uh, we figure if we can be there for a third of them we're doing a good we're doing a good job ultimately we want to be able to handle all of them and we also want to be um, available for people returning from the county jails there's a lot more that come from the county jails that's a bigger that's a bigger issue but our model is we don't turn anybody away we don't cherry pick we don't Pick the people that we think are going to be most successful. We, If you come in, if you're willing to work with us, we work with you.
2: So and are your clients, they all local? or
1: Yes, all Washtenaw County. We, uh, a, a Brighter Way has no real aspirations of growing in that sense. We do have the, the, the aspirations of becoming the benchmark and becoming... You know, so if somebody wants to open something similar to a brighter way in another community, we'll come in there and show you how to, how to build it. We'll come in there and help you, you know, scale the model. We'll, go, we'll come in there and we can do some of the trainings and stuff. But ultimately, we don't want to get beyond Washtenaw County because that's one of the problems is when some things grow and they start to become regional and then they become statewide and then they become national, they lose a lot of their local uh, control. And so we're, we're going to try and stay away from that. My relationships with Ann Arbor Area Community Foundation, with United Way, with Washtenaw Housing Alliance, all of those things are very much local. If I spread myself even thinner and have to also do that with Wayne County, with Oakland County, the, the quality of the relationship uh, suffers, and we don't
0: want to do that. Um, could you give some examples of success stories that right away has giving um there's all kinds of success
1: stories and they and they vary um some people wouldn't see them as being that successful but that's because they don't know the backstory i can give you a couple obvious uh ones we have Luanda hollister has been with us for two and a half three years and she's like she's amazing she's working for american friends service committee now she's got her own business called the chow hall um, which is brilliant. It's not only, it's not only good food, but it, it's an educational piece because she prepares meals based on the things that she could get while she was in prison. So you get an idea of you know, what was available. Some of it had to be stole from the kitchen. Some of it was able to get on the commissary. Matter of fact, we did it one event where we actually gave people a commissary list and had them fill it out, and it was supposed to last you three months. So that people get a really good understanding. So, And Lawanda's an advocate. She's out there everywhere. She's out there with nation outside. I I, I swear, every time I turn something on and there's a video, Lawanda's in there speaking to it because she is such a good advocate. She's got such a good story. She went in at 17, came out at 51. Um, So Lawanda's one example. Um, I'm going to give you two more. Arthur's a good example because Arthur did 44 years. He just turned 70 this year. He's a likable guy and he didn't let his past get in the way. He is the example, he's the epitome of reentry through relationships. So he went out there, he started showing up at things, and he was the first person hired by the city of Ann Arbor Parkinson Recreation who's formerly incarcerated. And he's out there doing a really good job, getting other people jobs, and representing what is possible. And then I would also like to say that my program coordinator, um, Laquan Hill, and my best friend, besides my wife, he's been home for approximately seven months. Um, And he was one of the first people that we hired in this new model. He's one that, that I hope stays and doesn't grow and go, he just grows. After seven months, I mean, he's out here. He's mentoring other people. He's helping, helping to build the program. You know, he's got his, he's got his car. He's, got, he's probably going to be doing a second job with Nation Outside, too. But he's just, it's an extension. Because this is the thing that a lot of people don't know. is like when you come out and you do real well, everybody's like, wow, you've only been home for seven months. How are you doing that, you know? Because he started doing it before he came home. You know, If people start to be able to mentor one another, if they start to be able to do positive things, if they start to be able to facilitate classes and teach, um, those recidivism rates go down huge. Those recidivism rates were during the warehousing years where all you did is put somebody in a cell and left them alone. And then you wondered why they couldn't succeed when they had to actually do their own cooking. They had to do their own laundry. They had to schedule how they were going to do these things. They had to figure out how to get to them. You know, they had all these things because prison does not mimic real life. You know, unfortunately, it's very, it's, it's, it's very much based on a parenting model. You know, so what it is is, is that you have a bunch of kids in there and it's, you're surprised that they can't, can't come out and, you know, do adult stuff. You don't get a lot of opportunities to do it. But some of us find a way and make sure that we do it and, and grow up in there.
2: And who are the other people who work for it right away? Like, are they volunteers?
1: Um, no. Right now we have we have myself, the executive director. We have Jeannie Ross, which is the deputy director. We have Laquan Hill, who's our program coordinator. We have Rick Ward, who is our skills coordinator. He loves that. He wants me to call him skills so bad. I won't do it. Um, and we just hired Deshaun Leith who gets off parole in January. He has been one of our mentors. I mean, one of our mentees. Now he's working for us and he will be mentoring people um, within a couple months. We also do have volunteers that help us with a lot of things. We've got a, like we've got a volunteer grant writing team that is amazing. That's one of the reasons we've basically tripled in size this year's because, you know, they take care of their business. They are a part of our community. They love us. They believe in our mission. We have Robin Leach. You guys aren't young enough to know when I say that name. There's a lot of people my age out there. No, not the Robin Leach from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. But she's our volunteer coordinator. Um, And if anybody's ever been a volunteer coordinator before, I've heard it's like herding cats. So we appreciate her doing that. I mean, we've just got a bunch of people. A lot of people would ask me, like, when I first got this job, what's your job? I think my job, no matter what it is and where I'm at, is community building. And so that's what we at A Brighter Way, I believe, are. We are a community. Um, We're a community of formerly incarcerated people. Yes, that's our main focus. But we are a community that also have people that have never been incarcerated. And we are also embedded in a community that is Washtenaw County. So... Anything that we do, we are trying to make it better for everybody. We believe in a rising tide raises all ships, and we don't believe in, you know, um, this, th- that somehow it's a zero-sum game, and that if you get something, I lose something. If we do this right, everybody can get something.
0: And what more kind of help is needed to keep the organization running?
1: I hate to say this, but it's true. We live in a, a capitalistic world, and we live in a materialistic world. You have to buy things. And the biggest thing about our expenses is wages. Wages and direct services. So you can get grant money a lot of times to cover wages, but you have to keep writing them, which takes more um, energy. And then sometimes they've seen you a few times and then so they decide to move on to somebody else. So you have to find something else. It becomes its own job. We always require donations because they also give us more flexibility. One of the things that's missing in prison, I used to talk to my wife about this on a regular basis, are options and opportunities. What we need is options and opportunities to get in the room and talk to people. We need to reduce stigma. We need to help people understand why what we do is important a lot of times you'll hear these conversations like it's us and them and it's not. Like when they're talking about public safety on one side of things and we're talking about mentoring people who have returned from prison, they act like we are combating them. No, if I'm not reoffending, that's good public safety. You know, it just makes sense because there's a level of resistance that most people don't understand. Have either one of you robbed a bank? No. All right, I wouldn't expect you to answer yes if you did anyway. Um, I have, and a lot of people over the course of their life have had tough times and they've watched all these movies and they've thought about robbing a bank because that's where the money is. But their level of resistance is different because they've never done it. They don't know if they can do it, anything like that. The level of resistance I have, if I ever, and and I'm way away from it, so don't misunderstand this, but the level of resistance I have is different. Because I know I can do it because I've done it before. And it's the same thing with people who've sold drugs, who've whatever. So the level of resistance is different. So if you want to genuinely have you know good public safety, you have to work with people who have already shown the ability to do these things. One, because you don't want them to do it again two because there's a generational component to this. So if we can keep fathers and mothers in the family and in the community, the next generation doesn't see that as a way to do it. You know, that's one of the things that I'm most proud about about this model that we're doing now about bringing people in is because now people get to watch their dad help people. You know, they can talk all all they want to about what he did in 1987. I've been watching my dad for the last 10 years. He's out there helping everybody he possibly can. I think that's what we need, options and opportunities. The opportunities will create the options. So we need to get into the right rooms. We need to talk to the right people. You know, when I talk to politicians and they say, and they say, well, go ahead and make the ask because $2 million is an accounting error. What? And yet you can't get 500000 to fund something. You know, it's an accounting error. So we need to be in the room so that they care and so that they realize we're on the same team.
2: And is there anything you'd like the general public to know about what they can do to help? Um, you can
1: reach us at, at, at abrighterway.com. You can contact me at director um, at dot org at my email. Um, I'm not going to put my phone number out there. I made that mistake once. Um, but... <laughs> You can call us at the office. matter of fact, let me give you the office number. It's 734-896-3770. And we're still a pretty small organization. And, and, and we're not based in you know these hierarchical, hierarchical terms. Um, I'm not going to direct you to somebody else. You can come to me. You can talk to me. If there's a question that I think somebody else might be able to better answer after we've talked then I will, you know, have you talk to somebody else. Um, I just say come in and ask. Depending on when this airs, you might be able to look at our website and learn something. We're in the process of rebuilding it right now. It's not very good. I will acknowledge that. But it will get you from point A to point B. It will give you some idea um, of some of the things that we do. We're located in downtown Ipsy in the Centennial Building, 124 Pearl, Suite 201. Um, We're open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. It's not a very big office, but we have a coffee pot and and a microwave. and Anybody's welcome to stop in.
0: And is there any message that you'd like to leave to our audience?
1: I would just like everybody to realize that labels that we put on people um, not only separate us from them, they separate them from us. We draw all these lines, and so we've drawn these lines somehow thinking that it keeps us safe, and we forget that it imprisons us too. You know, when you're building all these fences, it might keep certain things out, but it also keeps you in. So stigma reduction and relationships um, are not just about the people um, that we think it obviously is directed at. It's for all of us. When we all realize and have our humanity. When we do like I was talking about previously about my wife and give each other and ourselves the totality of our humanity and don't pick a side in everything. When we become and thinkers instead of or thinkers, I think anything is possible. Yes, I robbed a bank. Yes, I served 27 years. And I'm out here every day trying to make sure that your daughter, your son, your grandmother are safe. People forget about that. It's not, this, isn't, this isn't us versus them. There's only us. Them is, them is like race. It's something that we've contrived to create enemies. Um, it doesn't exist. There is no them. There is no someplace else. We learned that with the environment when we were dumping chemicals into rivers and be like, it's going somewhere else. There is no somewhere else. There is no someone else. We're all a part of the same thing. Um, so that's what I would say is, is just just deal with people as human beings and be honest with yourself. One of the reasons why people are so crappy with each other sometimes is because it's how they feel about themselves. And so it's easier to project that onto other people than to really do the work that you need to do within yourself. And my guys, my people, um, are working hard on themselves. So help them out.
0: Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. Cool. Six months have passed since our interviews with Mr. Grant, And since then, his words have echoed in our minds often. There are so many people, like Mr. Grant, who do everything they can to make positive changes in the world, no matter how difficult. In our podcast, we want to raise awareness in our community of these individuals and the marginalized groups that they support. If you can, please get to know a brighter way and lend a helping hand in any way you can. And as always, thank you so much for listening.